You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. There we go. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And <clears throat> brothers and sisters, as you do that, it is so sweet to be with you. Uh, I want you to know that uh, as we left, it wasn't something like it was where we are just like, I mean, we were glad in the Lord what the Lord was doing and building, uh, but we, we've been sad. There's been some real sadness, some real tears um, for a number of reasons, but, but I miss you. I missed you. And uh, so, praise the Lord for, for you, church. Lord is using you to spread the gospel, to spread his fame, truly to neighborhoods and nations and next generations. And I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Uh, we're here. My family's here. The little turkeys are with us, like Lily and Hope, and they're growing. They're big girls. Um, and we have a young lady named September Garza who's with us from the church. Uh, her family is also a part of the church. She's one of our young adults. And I think we were hopeful to have a, a few more of our young adults come, because believe it or not, we actually have a few young adults now, and uh, we were hopeful for them to come, but they're actually serving today. So they're serving back at our little church uh, in, in Southside, Southeast San, San Antonio, uh, but I know they wanted to be here. Um, but just such a joy uh, to be with you today. Um, it was. It was January 17th of last year, almost a year to the day. That, that we were, a group of us, were prayed over and sent out, and we began to meet in a park and, and pray, and several of you were joining with us and encouraging us. That, the Lord used that to encourage us as you gathered with us in that park, and um, the Lord just continued to build. We, we, start, we publicly launched, if you want to say that, on, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday in April, and it, the Lord's just continuing to build, which has been so sweet. It's been an adventure, it's been an adventure. Uh, when, when someone's gone, you feel it. When you're a small church, you really feel it. Um, when we launched, we were a group of around 20. And by God's grace, I, I just celebrate every, every single one of these that I'm about to tell you, but by God's grace, over the last nine months, we're, we're a group of in the 70s, which just blows me away. Because here we were years ago praying. And there was nobody. <laughs> and the Lord just begins to add and build and, and do his incredible work. And I, I, I tell you, I, we're meeting in a movie theater, which blows me away. And it's been so helpful. We didn't meet there because it's cool. We met there because that's the doorway the Lord opened and the Lord's been providing. And we just signed a contract for another year to be there, officially in, in March, um, which is such a kindness of the Lord because it's been cost effective. It's been very, very helpful. Uh, for us. But every, every, every Sunday, I'll tell you, I walk up and, and people show up. And I'm amazed. I'm surprised. I'm like, wow, people are showing up again. That, it blows me away. But, I, but I'm freshly reminded, wow, Lord, you're building. You're building. Thank you for building. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the Lord's been using the very people that you prayed over and sent out with us. So, so I, I don't want to overlook the, the first member of the church who's in my home, Danielle is serving faithfully in the church through our children's ministry. She's our uh, team, team leader for our teachers in our, in our uh, Mission City Kids, which is our children's ministry. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, she's on the rotation of teachers as they serve to, to 
do, the, do what you guys are doing, telling our young generation of the gospel, hoping to see them come to faith. Uh, Susano and Becky Galvan and Mike and Lynn Schaefer are regularly serving on our welcome team. So you guys have your welcome team out front. They are serving on our welcome team. They're some of the first faces that people see and are greeting people joyfully and checking kids into children's ministry. Um, Susano is also serving in uh, a, what we call our, our men's leadership cohort, where we meet weekly with men who we believe are leaders or are future leaders of the church to raise them up, train them up. A group of men that we believe are deacons or will be deacons and maybe even elders. The Lord's already given us a group of men like that, which is huge. Pillar leaders for a little church. That's, I, I, it amazes me. Jeff Boogie. Jeff and Leonora used to sit right here uh, in, in, on Sundays in this church, and they still visit regularly. Jeff is a member of the church and is serving faithfully on our teardown and setup team. And it's just a joy every Sunday to see him. I love it. Um, Leonora is a member of the church and is faithfully serving on our praise band, singing and doing an excellent... In fact, they were going to be here today, but she's serving singing this morning, so they weren't able to be here. Um, she also serves the church well by actively caring for people, pursuing people. As she did here, she pursues those who are on the fringes. She's doing there. The Lord has brought us a, a man who's homeless in the community, and she's just pursued him, regularly caring for him and feeding him, helping with him, uh, which has been a joy and a challenge, but she's just taken that on with a glad heart. That's been beautiful to watch. Zach Van Wright, many of you know, was here and then went with us, and we prayed over him a few Sundays ago and sent him back to Houston, which was a pain, right? We're a little church. Like, people aren't supposed to go. You know, you're supposed to stay. Um, but, but he was sent back. He was a part of our leadership cohort serving, uh, but he is engaged to a young lady named Lais in Houston, and he's there pursuing her. And we were glad to send him out. Um, and Markel Lilly, who was, came to faith uh, in this church, while Zach and I were here, we got to baptize Markel. He was from San Antonio. So little did we know that was the first fruits of the church being built in San Antonio years ago. So he is regularly apart. In fact, this morning he is running sound for us and is growing, asks wonderful questions, and is just so sweet and is part of our young adults. So the Lord is building. We planted in an area filled with Catholicism and the prosperity gospel in southeast San Antonio, and we've seen some who were longing for a faithful church, a faithful gospel-centered, expositional preaching church. Um, we've heard this, that people felt like they were in a spiritual desert because of just the Catholicism and prosperity gospel there, that it felt like they're in a, a spiritual desert. And so they were praying, asking the Lord to build a church, to bring a church, to plant a church. And so it's just incredible, because we've seen people come out of that and just love to be a part of the church and hunger and want to be a part. Um, uh, in fact, one of the guys, a part of that group, came up to me a few Sundays ago. Actually, it was our New Year's service, came up. And just in, he's kind of a tough guy. He would fit in well here. Um, just a tough guy. And he comes up, and he just tears overflowing out of his eyes. And he just expresses his thankfulness to the Lord for bringing him to the church. How kind of the Lord. The Lord is so sweet. Um, we've seen some coming out of 
years of being in prosperity preaching churches, actually being in prosperity preaching churches, and we're just seeing them love the Word and hunger and want more. And one man told me, just, I, I've been a believer for years, but, but I feel like I'm just learning all of this, the gospel and of grace. Talk to me, teach me like I'm a new believer. That's what he said. How sweet is that? So just loving grace, growing in grace, growing in the gospel. There has been much good. I could just keep on going. Much, much, much good. Uh, all of it, though, has taken place in weakness. All of it has taken place in weakness. Every church involved in church planting, and we heard this before we were sent out, every church involved in church planting will endure some form of weakness. You will enter into weakness. This church sent people away and gave financially to this church plant. That is entering into weakness willingly for the gospel to go forth. So you enter into weakness. Our form of weakness, the Lord's provided a place. He's provided leaders. He's been so kind. Our form of weakness has been health. Sickness has made it challenging. COVID has made it challenging for the church to gather regularly together. We were on the drive here, we were telling September, like, we're just glad for the day when all 70 of the people can be together at once. Like, it will, we'll feel like a mega church at that point. Like, wow, this is incredible. So we're so looking forward to that day. Um, but, but both members of the pastoral team have experienced health issues and sickness in ways neither one of us have ever experienced. And it has depleted us. It's, been, it's, it's caused us to enter into incredible weakness uh, to the point, at one point, I felt like I needed a cane to walk. I, we keep a stool next to the pulpit uh, on Sundays just in case you've got to sit down. Um, I'm still kind of in the middle of some of this. I've, I'm, uh, it feels like months. I've been tested. I've progr- I'm progressing. I praise God. I'm here. I'm here. Um, but there was a point I had, I had to just pause everything. And so all of this has just been done. All this good and building has been done in the midst of weakness. Um, and it's been challenging. But though it be a humbling season in the midst of our weakness, the Lord has grown us in trusting Him. The Lord has really grown us in trusting Him. Our understanding of and joy in His grace has been deepened and we have been postured in a way to depend upon the Lord in a way that if, I think if we had been full strength, it would have been really easy to say, oh, look what we're doing. It would have been really easy to be proud. And so the Lord, in the midst of this weakness, we've seen the Lord graciously sustain and continue to build this little church, and we've been filled with gratefulness. We really do. The pastor, Rob and I, we, we just like, we're just... We're just watching the Lord build. We're trying to be faithful and just watch the Lord build. So we, the, the Lord has provided us with faith. He's provided the church with faith to trust Him more in the midst of weakness. Um, and that however much strength He allows from week to week, because sometimes it's down, sometimes it's up, that that's enough. What He gives is enough for us. And so we're growing and trusting Him that, okay, if we have to hobble up, then we'll hobble. Um, but it's enough, Lord. And so we can trust you with that, and you're still accomplishing your good. Um, Because of this weakness, we lean into Christ more quickly. We treasure him more deeply. We long for him more sincerely. And we know his love for us and for this church more sweetly. And we celebrate grace more gladly. So I'd say amen, right? (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
So that's what we want to talk about this morning, weakness. Weakness. We're going to talk about that. How, how We want to see from, and hear from what the Word of the Lord has to say to us about the Christian life when we experience weakness. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, I I feel pretty confident in saying that none of us woke up this morning or wakes up in the morning saying, you know, I want it to just be a great day. Let me be weak today. As weak as possible. We think of weakness as a parasite to the human body, don't we? It's a parasite to life. It's, it's not something we desire or are eager to have. In fact, we usually are ashamed and embarrassed to be weak. It's a humbling thing for us. It reveals that we don't have it all together. We don't have all the answers that we're actually needy people deep down. That's what weakness reveals. It's very humbling. And so we live lives avoiding weakness at all costs, don't we? We don't want to be weak. Who wants to be weak? So we live lives avoiding weakness, and we see it as a hindrance. It's a hindrance to the good life that that God has for me. Weakness has to be a hindrance. The the, the life that God just really intends for me to have that can't go the pathway of weakness. We think this way. And because we often think this way, we we feel this way, that there's no way this weakness or trouble or difficulty that I'm experiencing could possibly be a part of the plan of my life, that there's just no way this could be connected to the good of what God is doing and working all things for good in my life. There's just no way that sickness, there's no way that job trouble, there's no way that health issues or whatever unwanted circumstance or weakness you are experiencing now or can think of, there's just no way that can be for my good. That's how we often are postured. And so the equation that we live by is that weakness is bad and strength is good. Strength, that's the way, right? We want to serve God, we got to be strong people. Strength. Weakness is to be avoided and to be despised. If someone's weak, you avoid that person. Right? Oh, they're too needy. Can't stand being around them. Two weeks strength is to be obtained and celebrated. So we plan our lives for what appears to be the pathway of least weakness and most beneficial to me, where I will be most strong. 
don't we? That's typically how we plan our day, how we plan our lives. It even starts when we're little. When you go to recess, you want, you want a, a, a sermon illustration? Go watch kids at recess and watch kids get picked in some type of, type of team game. And what do you see? You remember, some of us in this room were picked last. We know, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Even children at young ages, we look around and we're looking for the strongest, and that's who I want on my team. I want the most athletic out here next to me. And the weakest, typically they're chosen last or they're unwanted. So even as little kids, we start thinking that way. And then as adults, that carries over into job promotions, wanting to be a leader. You've got to be the strong guy or the strong lady. You've got to be physically appealing. You've got to be energetic. You've got to be all of this. You've got to be strong. Our culture idolizes strength. They idolize the strength, and it equates it with, with success. And sadly, here's a sad thing, brothers and sisters. Sadly, I think some of that bleeds into the church culture. It bleeds into church culture. You want to be a successful ministry? I mean, think about this. How was the last time you viewed your church and viewed other churches? Or how do you observe churches? How do you judge if one's successful or not? Often, we're doing this. You, you want to be a successful ministry, you better, have, you, you better have a pastor who majors in lofty speech and can give culturally acceptable and appealing sermons and that by no means go over 25 minutes. We're already almost there. Yeah, I've got I to gotta speed up. Be, they got to be physically appealing in person and venue. You walk into the church, it better smell good, it better look good, it better be nice and updated. There better be energetic and lively people greeting me with my cup of coffee there. And all this. They better have good musicians, a killer children's ministry if my, so my kid can be entertained, a super cool and appealing youth ministry. If they have it, then we're going there. It doesn't matter how good that church preaches truth, but if that's a super cool children's ministry or youth ministry, that's where we got to go. You must be polished and pretty and strong if you want to be taken seriously in our culture as a successful ministry. Isn't that sad? But it's true. When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, the culture in Corinth and in the church at Corinth was much the same. Very much the same. The Corinthians tended to value everything that sounded impressive. There were fine-sounding words spoken by critics of Paul's ministry who wanted to cause people, the churches, to doubt among the church, by, by, to doubt Paul's ministry by playing on the idolatries of the culture. That Paul's ministry couldn't possibly be legit or truly effective God truly couldn't be with that guy because look at how weak he is. He's not physically impressive. He doesn't speak with lofty speech. In fact, when you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, you actually see, see that it's as if God wouldn't allow Paul to speak with lofty speech so that the people couldn't be drawn to that. So he doesn't speak with lofty speech. He's poor. He's raggedy, beaten, and bruised, unimpressive, uninspiring, broken. He's been through shipwrecks. How could God let his chosen ones go through shipwrecks, right? After all, this man is weak, so how could you follow that guy? How could you trust that God is with him? Well, Paul writes this letter to the church, and doing so, he is rewriting 
and redefining just what the Christian life truly looks like, like a weak clay pot holding a priceless treasure. That actually is what the Christian life looks like, like a weak clay pot holding a priceless treasure. And he turns our understanding of strength upside down by showing us what true power in the Christian life actually looks like. Oh, here's what we're going to see today in these verses. Verse 7, treasure in weak people. Verses 8 through 9, power in weak moments. In verses 10 through 12, life in the midst of death. And I believe they'll, oh, there you go. So I don't got to repeat them. In all of this, we're going to see how God is actually using and purposing moments of weakness for His glory and for our good. And so I hope it will strengthen you. It will help give you a definition of what is happening when I'm weak. God, what are you up to? My hope is that God will just rewrite our definition of strength and weakness today. So, verse 7, treasure in weak people. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what, what is this treasure that he's talking about here, that Paul's talking about? Well, leading up to these verses, Paul's been talking about this new birth, the saving work and illuminating power of God to open blinded eyes. Josh just prayed it before I walked up. To open blinded eyes of people who are spiritually dead and to reveal to them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of who? Jesus Christ, right? Um, with, with, with this same creation power that he spoke all things into existence and said, let there be light, and boom, there's this explosion of life and light. Paul points to that that same way, God does the same thing in people with his power. That he speaks life into them, and there's this explosion of life the life of Christ inside of people that wasn't there before. And so they are a new creation indwelt by the Holy Spirit and filled with the presence of God himself, filled now with the life of Christ. So I would summarize that by saying, what is this treasure? It is life in Christ. It is, it is the life of Christ flowing through us. It is gospel life, gospel life. The treasure contained in his people is gospel life, the life of Christ within us. But here's the shocking declaration. Here's what's shocking about this. Paul describes then the people, us, in which the treasure is kept. That that beautiful, priceless treasure that you think of should be, should be kept in something equally beautiful, that that. Maybe the thing carrying it should be beautiful too, God, right? But what he says is no. He describes us, the, treasure, the, the carriers of this treasure, as jars of clay. Clay pots. Clay pots. That's how Paul describes himself and you, if you're a Christian in this room, and me. We are clay pots, common jars in Paul's time, made from the clay of the earth, a dime a dozen, inexpensive, uh, listen, inexpensive, get your mind wrapped around it, inexpensive, unattractive, unimpressive, prone to cracks, easily broken, and bland. 
nothing in and of themselves that is flashy. That's what God has chosen to carry His treasure. Bland jars of clay. It's not a a beautiful treasure in equally beautiful, strong people. That would diminish the treasure. It's a beautiful treasure in an easily broken, bland, and weak people. And why? Why does God inspire Paul in writing the Scripture to describe us like this? Why Why does God's design to put treasure in weak people and not have us be super strong and beautiful and flashy and impressive. Why would he do that? Well, he tells us to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. To show that this exceedingly great, these words for surpassing power, it's almost as if, this is like the word picture, It's, it's almost as if you lay out this chart and you're trying to measure the power but the chart ends and the power keeps going. It's this surpassing, exceedingly great power that's immeasurable. It's incomparable. It's second to none. And our God wants to show that that type of power, this surpassing, exceedingly great power, actually doesn't belong to His jars of clay. It belongs to Him. It's a paradox of God. A paradox is, is, it's when things, they don't seem like they should fit together, but somehow they do go together, right? Sometimes I feel that way about Danielle and I. Like, how does this beauty and the beast come together? How does that happen? They, by the grace of God, it's a paradox, right? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. With two, two things, and they come together, and they are together. They do fit together. But, so it's this purposeful paradox that God has designed for the Christian life to put priceless treasure in weak people. And it's so that, as that treasure is in weak people, it easily displays a powerfully great God. Our sinful tendency, even in the midst of wanting to serve God and and live our lives for God, the temptation we all experience is that we want to be great. We really do. I want to be known as great in front of other people. I want to think that I'm strong and able. We had a, a man in the church who's the Lord's doing a, a mighty work, pulling him out of drugs and all kinds of things. And I tell you, there's, there's points early on where he, he would say, like, I'm, I just I know I'm strong enough to do this. And it's like, no, you are not strong enough. Christ is strong enough, though. So let's run to him together. But but we want to be strong. We don't want to be needy people. That's the reality. We want to be capable, self-sufficient people. And we want to look like we have it all together. We want to be thought of as wonderful by those around us. We are very, very quick to boast in what we perceive ourselves to be. Well, I'm the smart guy. Shouldn't people ask me questions when they're asking a question? Well, I'm the great hoster. Shouldn't people... Ask me how to host and do it. See, that's easy. We easily boast in ourselves. We boast in what we perceive ourselves to be, or in what we have, or what we think we've accomplished, or our strength, or our energy, or our youthfulness, or good ideas, or our plans. We are so prone towards pride 
and selfish ambition and self-dependence, we are easily, easily self-boasters. And so the purpose of this paradox that God is doing, this purposeful paradox of putting treasure in weak people who live life in these crazy weak moments where we have to depend upon God himself, is so that the power and greatness is not falsely assigned to us, even by ourselves. So that we don't falsely assign the power and the might and the greatness to ourselves, and so that others watching us don't do that. God wants the glory. He deserves the glory. And so he puts treasure in weak, little, bland jars of clay. I think I've highlighted this passage to you, brothers and sisters, so many times over the years because I feel like I, this is us. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. I'm going to read it. I debate. I was like, yeah, I'm going to cut it. They've heard this from... No, we're going to read it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even, oh, I love this, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption, praise God, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in their power? No, no, no. Boast in the Lord. So according to this passage, you either start off weak or you will be made weak. But either way, weakness is the way. So it's the way. So that all we are left with is being able to boast in the Lord. That's all we're left with. And it's not a dreadful, begrudging boasting. Oh, it's not. When you've seen someone who, who is in this, it's not a begrudging, dreadful boasting. It's a glad and beautiful boasting. A glad and beautiful boasting that, that when brought to the end of ourselves through weakness, we with content and satisfied hearts in God then highlight and brag about His power and His ability and His achievements in the midst of our weakness. So Paul, in verse 7, is starting off by answering his critics. They're trying to discredit him. They're highlighting his great weaknesses. And he agrees with them. He agrees with them that he is, in fact, incredibly weak. But the reality is that every person who is indwelt by this priceless treasure of gospel life will take on an identity of a weak, easily broken, bland clay pot so that God gets the glory he rightly deserves as his great power is displayed in our lives, which is often best displayed through weakness. You don't know the strength. Follow me here, okay? You don't know the strength of a cane until you must lean upon it with all of your weight because your legs will not carry you. 
you don't know the strength of... I'm a silly... I, 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 this is how I understand things. You don't know the strength of a carjack until the air in your tires are gone. You don't know the transforming and sustaining power of God until you are incredibly weak. Now the Lord is kind to display His power and His glory in the midst of strength too, right? We just heard of a church, I don't know if you guys spread that word, another church that was praying to get a building and all of a sudden, like in six months, like five million dollars comes in out of nowhere. What? How does that happen, Lord? That's incredible. Strength, right? But, but often what we see is God must bring us to a place of great weakness to display His great power. I'm learning this in this season, brothers and sisters. So for years, I would have described myself as a passionate, energetic guy. And the Lord has just brought me to a point where I don't have that like I did anymore. I can't do everything that I want to do. I have to pace myself. I meet with a couple people, and used to I just all over the place, and, and, and that's not the case now. <clears throat> and I don't know how long that will be. There, there are times, there were times fumbling around on my legs. Often in our setup and teardown, I would have to sit down and just rest. Moments where I felt like I was barely walking. I went to the store one day and just, I looked in the, I was in the cold food section. I looked in the window, the mirror of the, the, the doors, and I just saw myself. I said, Lord, this is not right. What is wrong? What is going on here? You know me, church. I'm a guy who leans forward and walks fast. <laughs> and that wasn't the case. And, and, and I, I was perplexed. I was perplexed. I said, Lord, what, what is going on here, Lord? We just planted this church. This can't be the way. This can't be how you want a church planted, to have the lead pastor the weakest he's ever been. What's going on, Lord? Why? Why would this be, Lord? How could this be? What's going on? And I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's going on. I don't know each and every way the Lord is using this weakness for his glory and my good and the good of our church. I can't tell you every way because he's, he's so beyond us. But I know this much. I know the Lord wants to show his power and might not through a proud, selfishly ambitious pastor. He wants to show his power and might and goodness through the school of weakness, through weak men, weak women. So that there's no question who to boast in. So it's actually the perfect time to have a man be at his weakest point in planting a church so that I don't steal the glory or try to. And I'm so glad. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. These, these waves of weakness that just seem to pound us and come out of nowhere and just... Whoosh, and how you see on the seashore how often they'll press the waves up against the rocks, crashing in. And that's what it feels like. But what, where the waves of weakness for the Christian press us against, is they press us into the rock of ages, into the rock of Christ himself. And so Spurgeon says, I've learned to kiss the wave that presses me into Christ. 
Oh, brothers and sisters. Paul goes on, verses 8 through 9. Paul gives us an illustration of how this surpassing power, this exceedingly great, unmatched power of God has been practically lived out in his life of weakness and hardship and difficulty. And, and these verses serve as a connection point for us to help us see how God is powerfully working in our lives in the midst of our weakness. It's this power in weak moments that we see in verses 8 through 9. It's not a power that helps us to avoid weak moments. That's what we think often. I'm going to trust God to get me out of this. But truly trusting God is saying, no, Lord, if you lead me into this, you are with me and you are good. That's what a sheep truly trusting its shepherd says. No, my shepherd won't lead me to that valley. No, that shepherd will lead you to the valley and he won't leave you in the valley. That's truly trusting our shepherd. It's not to avoid weak moments. It's that he will walk with us through weak moments. So power in weak moments. He says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, yes, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul gives us this list that serves as a picture of the reality of weakness that that the Christian will experience in this life. Affliction, we're perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But then on the other side, connected to that, he connects these forms of weakness to how the power of God is working to sustain the Christian through it all. This this, this list is is, is a list of shared experiences that we share in but then is a list of shared experiences of the power of God that we experience through this. So hear it that way. So we're afflicted. It's this word picture of being squeezed in or pressed in by, by all these different difficulties we experience in our daily lives, like the squeezing in on us as we live out our faith in the middle of a fallen and broken world. We experience the world pressing in on us and its values and idolatries and sin-celebrating posture. I'll tell you, I, don't, I feel that more now as a parent, especially like you come around Halloween time, and it's like you can't avoid it. It just presses in on you. Your neighbors are putting these horrendous things up. We had someone show up to church with a crazy mask. You know, and it, it just presses in on you. It presses in, and you can't avoid it. And so you say, well, wow, we're just being pressed in. The world and its values and its sin, it just presses on us. It's just squeezing us. Even its sickness, we can't escape. The world just pressing in. We live in a fallen world at work, at home, at school, at the grocery store. We are an afflicted people, yet in God's power, we're not crushed by it. We're not crushed by it. We live daily lives through all that is all that pressing and in and affliction. But by the power of God, we don't give way into conformity into the world's ways. One commentator, Kent Hughes, says of this passage at this moment, he says, we're, I love this, we're squeezed but not squashed by the world. That's a great way of putting it. Squeezed but not squashed by the world. So then we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed. We so often experience inner distress and confusion as the hardships of this world hit us, don't we? It's confusing at times, and it catches us off guard. It's this, it's this how could this happen, or the why moments of our lives, or the wow moments of how could this happen again? 
wow, we were already hit two times this month. Again, it's the how, why, and wow moments of the Christian life that we so often experience. We are perplexed. We're perplexed people. Many of us, haven't you experienced that? Hasn't that been you often in these last several months? How? Why? Wow, Lord, what is going on? Yet, in God's power, we're not driven to despair. A despairing heart has lost sight of God's sovereign goodness in the midst of difficulty. A heart heart despairs when they forget that God is sovereignly good towards them in the midst of trouble. A heart strengthened by the power of God, though we may be caught off guard still, we may still cry real tears, and we may have to face real hard realities. We, by the power of God, are strengthened and enabled, and the heart that's strengthened and enabled, to hope in God's goodness and His sovereign goodness over our lives. So that, that though I am perplexed, though I am perplexed, I know He has a plan and a purpose that is for my good and His glory, so I can trust Him. I need not despair. So then we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted. The external hostility we experience as we are hated and harassed, as clay pots in a fallen world, specifically by, because of what we believe. We are outcasts of society, exiles, God's pilgrim people. We experience loss of, of friendships, loss of relationships, loss of jobs and job promotions. We're made fun of because of our faith. We lose opportunities. We're forsaken and abandoned and avoided by those that are closest to us. Yet, in God's power, He ensures that we'll never be left alone. He never leads us into the valley and then leaves us alone to walk through the valley, right? Never leads us to the valley and then leaves us alone. He will never turn his back on you. He will never forsake you, Christian. He will never abandon you, ever. No place, no circumstances, no amount of heartache, no amount of suffering, can separate us from him. We can know with Paul the absolute confidence of God's abiding presence with us, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the persecution, even if the persecution leads to death because of what Christ did on the cross. Christ took upon himself on the cross our sin forsakenness. Wasn't he forsaken by the Father? so that you, Christian, would never know what it's like to be forsaken by God. Oh, so then we are persecuted, but not forsaken, never left to ourselves. No matter what your heart says. Lastly, we're struck down. The physical description of literally being beaten down, knocked down, brought physically low, and made physically weak, yet in God's power we're not destroyed. When he uses this word destroyed, it has this, it, it carries an eternal value to it. That this, though this fleshy body may get beat down and broken down, but, the, but for the Christian, true life 
the true life we contain in Christ can never be destroyed. Can never be destroyed. Though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And though life here may cease, eternal life awaits. We're reading Pilgrim's Progress with the girl. We've been going through it, and it's been wonderful. And it's been a wonderful, it's a sweet allegory. They have children's versions that we're, we're using. And it just points our eyes to the celestial city is what they call it. Through all the trouble, pointing our eyes. There is life that awaits. But for every Christian to get to that celestial city, they must go through the river of death. The river of death. So though even our persecution, though trouble may come, our bodies broken, weary, worn down, death may come, but eternal life awaits. Oh, man. So though we may be persecuted, yet in God's power we're not destroyed. Oh, i got to hurry. Last page here. It's the power of God and the weakness of the Christian's life. These moments of weakness and struggle and trouble we experience in every part of our life, don't we? Every single part. But here's what they are. They are occasions for God's power to be made known in our lives as we personally experience His power sustaining us in the faith. That's what all, every single one of those lists were. There's trouble, there's weakness, but God gives power to sustain his people in the faith, to exalt Christ in the midst of trouble, to exalt Christ in the midst of great weakness. That's what God promises to you, saints. That's what he promises us in the midst of weakness. So the weakness is an occasion for God to display that power, both to you, so you know that our God is a living God, and to those watching your life. So think of, think of weakness like this. He, the Lord, loves his little clay pots. He loves you. He loves you. And he loves to take those little clay pots and let them be cracked so that that beautiful, amazing treasure that's within you spills all over the place. That's what the Lord loves. And as that happens, the joy of that little cracked pot, to see that treasure go forth and to say, oh, life in Christ. It, it, there's this unique, divine, miraculous joy for the heart of the Christian in the midst of that moment. That's how we need to think of weakness and trouble. Paul Tripp sums it up like this. And I love this quote, and it, I had to share it. Believe it, Yeah, I believe it's going to be up there. God chooses for you to be weak, to protect you from you, and to cause you to value the strength that only he can give. In this way, the weaknesses that he sends our, your way are not impediments to the good life, they are not in the way of his loving plan. They are not signs of his lack of care. They are not indicators of the failure of his promises. They do not expose gaps in the theology that we hold dear. They are not indications that the Bible contradicts itself when it says that God will meet our needs. No, these weaknesses are tools of the zealous and amazing of his zealous and amazing grace. They protect you from the arrogance of self-reliance that tempts us all. They keep you from thinking that you're capable of what you're not. 
They remind you that you are needy and were created to be dependent on the one greater than you. They cause you to do what all of us in some way resist doing. Humbly run to God for the help that only He can give. So your weakness, weaknesses are not the big danger that you should fear. What you should really fear are your delusions of strength. When you tell yourself that you are strong, you quit being excited about God's rescuing, transforming, and empowering grace. Paul actually celebrated his weaknesses because as he did, the power of God rested upon him. He didn't live a fearful, discouraged, and envious life. He was content because he knew weakness is the doorway to real power. Power that only God can willingly and will, can and, win, and willingly does supply. How sweet. How sweet. Let's finish this off. I'm going long here. So in closing, verses 10 through 12, we see this. Life in the midst of death. Paul says this, We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The death Paul is referring to here is the process of dying. The, 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 not the final, like the process of dying. Paul is putting in view the life Jesus lived that was filled with sacrificial dying on his way to the cross. Jesus didn't just live life to die. He lived a life of dying, a journey of weakness that, that revealed the power. Think about Jesus' life played through the Gospels. It was a journey of weakness that revealed the power of God on his way to the cross. And in being united with Christ, we not only are brought in to share in the eternal life of Christ that he purchased for us on the cross, but we are brought in to share in the pattern and experience of the life of Christ on his way to the cross. We don't just, we gain eternal life through Christ, but we are brought in and united with Christ to share in his dying on his way to the cross. Jesus points us out in John, John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. You want to follow Christ? You want to follow Jesus? then weakness is the path. The Christian is not compelled on the path of least resistance, brothers and sisters. If every Christian chose to take the path of least, least, least resistance, the path of strength, the path that worked best for my life, there would never be missionaries. There would never be Jacob and Carol sent out. There would never be churches planted and sent out. There would never, that would never happen. But because of Christ, because of what he's doing, because of this life of Christ, it, what he's put in us, and because we're jars of clay, that is the pathway we are to take.
is to follow Christ himself and given towards a life of daily dying in Christ as we walk in his shared experiences of giving ourselves over to the purposes of God for his glory and for our good. Brothers and sisters, the Lord through weakness is teaching us to turn away from earthly treasures and to treasure Christ himself and to treasure following Christ. Brothers and sisters, thank you for your sacrifice because here's the thing. I have seen you walk in this. I have seen you walk in this. As you have died to self, as you have entered purposefully into weakness to send people you love away and to give financially out. Brothers and sisters, you have so walked in this and I am so grateful. And that is a testimony of God's grace in your life. Pray for us. We're a little church, Mission City Fellowship. Pray that this would be true of us. We don't have a lot to give. God's kindly provided what we do have, and we've tried to give a little bit out of what we do have. We want to be spent for the Lord. And pray that we would continue walking in faith. And my prayer is this for you too, that as the weakness comes rushing upon you, moments of trouble, moments of weakness, that it wouldn't be, why, Lord, how, why, what is this? But it would be, oh, Lord. I'm in your hands, and I'm a clay pot. So, Lord, however much cracking, however much brokenness, Lord, may the treasure spill out, and may you be exalted, and may my joy be in you. May that be so. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious church. Oh, thank you for this precious church that willingly sits through this time and comes and sits in these pews wanting to hear your word, wanting to hear from their precious Savior, wanting to know you more. Lord, I pray that, Lord, this church would experience much abiding in Christ, that there would be gospel life flowing through their veins continually, Lord, their hearts set upon being used by you and sent by you and compelled by you, Lord, to give their lives down, to be these little clay pots, easily broken, but, Lord, broken for you, that the treasure of Christ would be known in this earth, Lord. Lord, may you strengthen this church. May you renew them. May you refresh them in you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the family of Christ. May you be exalted. Thank you, precious treasure of Christ. Amen.